Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. Robert Newberry, and as been said, I work with our young adult staff at the Fort Worth campus, and it's basically anyone post-college to kind of whenever they want to stay there. Um, we don't really tell them when they can't, when they have to leave, um, but we do, if you've checked out Renovate, which is our once-a-month worship service on the first Wednesday of the month, or we're in Converge at this time, just over in the chapel at the Fort Worth campus every week. That's where I get to hang out, uh, but I'm really excited to get to be with you here today um, because I love this book of James, and it specifically has a special place in my heart because I studied it when I was in college, and it was this time where it was this real dynamic shift for me. Um, it was this time where I really was challenged to put my faith into practice. Um, but a little bit about me. Um, I grew up in Austin, Texas, but saw the light and left there and came up here to Fort Worth because I went to TCU and I graduated class of 2015, so go Frogs. Um, we love that. A great football year, so thank you all for giving us something to watch, um, and it's been great. Um, I am 30 now, which is really weird to say. Um, it's a little bit of a reality check, uh, but uh, what's been great about that is the Lord has given me a wife for about two years now, and she is just the best. Um, she is way smarter than me, way out of my league, um, and she just pushes me to love Jesus more and more each day, and so I'm super thankful. Um, but that's me. Um, but I'm, again, I'm really excited to be here with you guys because, as I said, like this book played such an instrumental role in my life in college in really forming what I understood to be faith and what it means to live out my faith and really have this be something that is not just something that I talk about, but something that is visible with my actions, and it's this congruent theme through my life that everything follows through this living and active faith. Um, and so just to recap where we were before y'all left for spring break, uh, Nathan walked us through uh, James 2, where James says life-changing faith is lived out publicly, um, and it is filled with good works that model or reflect the heart of Jesus. And as believers, we are called to this life change. And Nathan really unpacked that for us so well by saying that it's not just about good thoughts and intentions alone. Those aren't enough. But faith with works, or in James's words, just real faith that's alive is a faith, and it looks like this partnership between intentions and actions. They both have to be there. James says that is the key to real faith. And so now what we get to talk about in James 3 is one of these specific ways where intentions and actions line up um, in our lives. It's one of the most common ways that we experience interaction with each other, and that is the tongue, and specifically the words that come out of our mouth and the way that they can impact our lives. And when I say words, I don't just mean the physical act of talking. I mean what talking affords us or allows us to have as the opportunity as human beings. Talking allows us the opportunity to connect with friends and family. Talking allows us the opportunity to be seen and known by the people that we love and hope and desire to be close to because we can say, this is how we feel. And then someone can reciprocate that and say, oh my gosh, I feel that way too. And so in that, through that exchange, you now feel closer and connected to someone 
because before you felt alone and isolated because you could have been thinking, oh, I'm the only one who feels this. But by the way that we exchange and share and talk and converse with each other, we get this picture that we're a community and we bond and we grow close together. Just by the way that someone else was able to voice something that we feel without ever having to voice it, we naturally feel that we are no longer alone, that we feel seen and we feel like we belong because we're not the outcast sitting outside. And so that's a way that our words can build us up. And James knows that words are powerful, that it's a way where we can use our words to uplift, to encourage, to build each other up, to strengthen each other. And that's what we should aim for. And that's, that's what we would hope for at every point. Um, but as we're gonna see today, that's not always the case. Because when we talk about words, and if I were to poll this room, I would bet it's a pretty common experience for most, if not all of you, that words at some point in your life have had a negative effect that words have left you with scars, that words have left you with pain, and that words have left you with emotion that to this day, it still brings up really uncomfortable, hurtful feelings because those words were attached to someone that you thought was safe. Those words were attached to someone that you looked to to confide in, whether it's a family member, a friend that you were close to, or even a significant other. You look to this person and then you couldn't actually fathom what was coming out of their mouth because for so long, you would look to them and trusted them and expected them to be a safe place. But then all of a sudden, whether it was just a bad day or something else, something changed. And words now had an experience for you where they wounded you. And James knows this and he's gonna talk about it today because this issue of what our words can do and how we understand what role the tongue plays specifically in our lives as believers is something that James says is core to our ability to be followers of Jesus, to be people who represent Jesus to the world outside of us because our words are so often one of the things that stick most prevalently with people. And so James is gonna unpack what it looks like for us to understand the role that the tongue and words play in our lives and how we need to be on guard and how we need to watch our, our tongue and our words so that we don't have an, a, an opportunity to hurt people or wound people like we have been and like we've seen others be in the past. So that's where we're going today. Um, so if you would, if you've got your Bibles with me, open up to James 3 verses 1 through 4. And if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen for you. Um, and James says this, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. What this text is saying here, what it's teaching us is that little things can have a big impact. Saying that little things can have a big impact. Because you look at the picture of the bit for the horse and the ship, and something so small has an impact over something so large. But a little bit of context here, uh, real quick, is that James in verse one is talking about a specific thing that's going on in the New Testament church at the time. He is saying that not everyone ought to seek out being a teacher in the church because they will be held to the higher standard. And that's because there were people who were seeking out to be a teacher at this time because they were doing it for selfish reasons. 
They were seeking out to be a teacher for their own personal gain. And their motivations could have been any different number of factors. But what they were hoping to do is use the name and recognition of Jesus um, to build up their own status because teachers of the gospel were often looked at in a sense of high regard and respect by their churches because they were publicly saying that I will use my life, I will sacrifice my time to teach others about this gospel that I have come to know and love. And if there was persecution going around, they were often the most public figure because they were the ones speaking about Jesus and about our God. And so they would be taking on this role to say, I will face the brunt of it. I will be the one who is singled out because I want people to know our Jesus. They want people to know our God. And so that's the group of teachers that's there. And then in comes this other group that basically says, I see what you're doing and I like the reward that you're getting from it. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna follow suit, but I'm gonna do it just for the purpose of getting what you're getting out of it. And I'm gonna try and use this for my own selfish reward. And James writes to basically challenge that, to warn them against that, because that stands directly contradictory to what teachers are called to do in the, in the Bible. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 gives us a good example when it says this. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So teachers are meant to be those who give of their lives to build up the body of Christ into unity and the knowledge of the Son of God. They are meant to be those who sacrifice of themselves to give of their lives so that the church can be built up and be strong and know who Jesus is so that they can go and show him. Not this picture that James is writing against here where he sees men who are coming in and saying, okay, I want that, but I'm gonna use it for my own gain. I'm going to steal this platform because I want the respect, I want the attention, I want the affection that you're getting but I just don't wanna do it for the same reason you do. This is my prize, not Jesus, this over here. And James is so quick to call this out because what he doesn't want, what he is warning them against is preaching an inaccurate picture of Jesus. Because even if they say all the right things, even if these men say all the right things, the very fact that they are doing this for their own selfish gain the very fact that they are trying to use Jesus for their own personal rewards is robbing Jesus of the glory that he should get. And it's giving others an inaccurate picture of who our Savior is. And so James is warning them in this moment, saying you ought not to seek this out because they're held to a higher standard. And he's saying that they need to be careful with what they're doing. Because Matthew twelve thirty six also says, Jesus says, I would tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. So James and Jesus are both warning against the carelessness of words, against pursuing this for the wrong reasons. James doesn't want teachers to give a bad image of Jesus. But what James isn't saying here, just a real quick caveat, is that he's not saying that there's a different standard of salvation for teachers than there is for everyone else. 
He's not saying that for those of you who teach, there's a different gospel, there's extra steps, there's more things you need to do. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that because we will give an account for the careless words that we say, all of us, that for those who then take on the mantle to respect the responsibility of being a teacher, he's saying those words will be put under scrutiny because you're not just talking about yourself, but you're saying with authority, this is who our God is. You're giving a picture to everyone else, this is who our Jesus is. And so when that happens, these men who are seeking it for their own personal gain are not just in the moment doing something for themselves, but they're also hindering other people from seeing a picture of who our God is. And so James is writing to warn them here, basically saying, be careful with what you are dealing with because you can cause others to stumble because of your carelessness. You can rob others of the ability to see and love the God that we know because of your carelessness, because of the small decision that you made to say, I want this respect, I want this that they've got. You wanna take that, but in turn, you can hinder someone from ever hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the way that you model and say his character looks, and then they see a different picture in your life. And so he's saying, be careful. And he's saying, even if you're careful, it's really, really hard not to stumble because verse two says, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle his own body. So he's saying this isn't just the odd thing that you have to look out for. It isn't just the one-off situation where you gotta watch out for that one thing, that one night of the year where you're really tired. He's saying if you're stumbling in any other way, if there is any part of your life that's out of sync with the gospel that you proclaim, chances are your words are too. Your tongue is too because that's the hardest one to rein in. If you can rein that in, you can rein in your whole body. And so if your body isn't reined in in any one small way, it means that your tongue is not as well. And so for these teachers, James is basically trying to create this picture that it's impossible for you to do this and not hurt people. There's a danger here in what you're doing by wanting to teach because the words that you're saying are connected to the picture of Jesus that people believe. And so he's saying, watch out. Be careful. And it all started because these people were pursuing something that they thought was small just for their own benefit. They thought they could talk the talk and do it and that no one would be the wiser, no one would be in trouble because they knew, they knew what to say. But James is saying something different. But maybe for you, imitating New Testament teachers isn't your thing. Like that hasn't been your experience so far at TCU. Maybe that's not what you've got going on. Maybe for you, small decisions that uh, spiral out of control look something different. Maybe that was rush week or bid week for you. Maybe that was pledge ship, saying yes to things for the hope and promise of belonging somewhere that you thought you really needed. And in turn, you look back and you don't love what happened there because it got way out of hand. Or maybe it's saying or uh, acting in a certain way to try and gain friends in other ways because you left this environment and then came to college and you felt like you had to create it and make it on your own. And so you started to basically do whatever it takes or say whatever you needed to in order to win favor with the people around you. Or maybe that desire and drive was just something that just opened up a realm of possibilities for you to get in with a crowd that you didn't think you needed to um, just because you didn't want to be on the outside looking in. 
these decisions have weight. They can have a big impact in our life. And that's why James uses these illustrations in verses three and four. That's why he, he uses the picture of a bit in a horse's mouth. You know, a bit is just something that's about as thick as my finger, maybe a little bit more, and it controls a, a thousand or two thousand pound animal. I don't know if you've ever been on top of a horse. Like, because I'm from Texas, I think 90% of people assume I grew up riding them. Horses are scary. Like, let's just get that out there. For those of you who are in, like equestrians, like more power to you. You're some of the bravest people I know. Because sitting on top of a horse is anything but comfortable. You're sitting on something that is massively bigger than you, massively more powerful than you, and the only reason you're saying that it listens to me is because something the size of my finger is telling it what to do, that doesn't make sense to me. I can't explain it, and so I'm not gonna feel comfortable on a horse. If that's you, great. More power to you, I love that for you. But that's crazy to me. But that's what James is saying, the power that's in these small decisions that can have a big impact. Just like, just like the bit, a rudder of a ship, something that's so small, maybe one to 2% the size of the entire ship controls the entire direction that it's going. These small decisions, these small things can have such a big impact on our lives. And in the same way, words have that same opportunity, these small words that we think we don't necessarily need to put a lot of thought into. For those of us who are in Christ, those small decisions those small words can have the same impact that we saw from the New Testament church and what James was warning against. Our words can have that same influence over people and how they see and understand who Jesus is because of the ways that we talk to them, because of how we treat them. Those small decisions can begin to shape an idea of who Jesus is in other people's lives because of the small things that we make. And we know that sometimes, if we're not careful, those can damage and hurt other people. Look back at the text with me in verse five. And it says this. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. What we should take from this is that the tongue cannot be tamed. The tongue cannot be tamed. Even though it is something so small and powerful it's, uh, James says it can boast of great things and in doing so it can cause consequences in our life that we then have to answer for. And time and time again, we are not able to rein it in. James is saying even the birds of the air, the creatures of the ground, the fish of the sea, we have learned to tame as humans. We don't even speak the same, the same way. We don't communicate the same way. We don't have the same patterns. We don't understand everything about animals, yet we've figured out some way to say, okay, I can train this animal to do this thing. I can train this animal to farm. I can train this animal to be a pet. I can train this animal to stop and when to go. James says we can do all that, but we can't tame the tongue, and it is a very small fire that creates a world of unrighteousness. And a particular moment that sticks out to me 
about when this rang true in my life happened to me in college. A little bit more about me. Um, I grew up in a house with a brother and a dad and a mom. Um, we were a boy house. Um, we were very much rough and tumble, got in fights, were always at each other's throats. Uh, so much so that my mom had a phrase called girl in the room. And that basically meant it was too much. Chill out, be nice to each other. And so that was the culture I grew up in. So naturally when I went to TCU, I found friends who were the exact same. We just made fun of each other all the time. And it was the most secure thing. It made me feel great all the time and I really loved it. Um, but we were the type of friends who, as soon as you knew something embarrassing about someone, you tried as hard as you could to create a situation where it would come up. I don't have the greatest singing voice, so when we'd go on road trips, they would play a song I'd really like. All of a sudden, it would get to that high note that no one in the world can hit, and definitely I can't, and they just crank the volume off. Everyone else would be crystal clear silent. I'd be like, great, guys. This makes me feel fun. I'm super secure in my singing voice. It's great. Um, but we were just that way. Um, we were just those type of guys who were always poking fun at each other and never gave you a day of rest. Um, and it included sports too. We'd play intramurals, we would play everything that we could. Uh, and oftentimes we'd find ourselves in the wreck playing basketball. And there was a friend that we had uh, who wasn't the greatest at basketball, wasn't even really an athlete, um, but he just wanted to hang around. He just loved the community. Uh, he was a little bit newer to the group and so he was just wanting to be a part of it. So he'd just show up to anything, he would hang out and he would just want to be involved. And so he would play basketball and you know, like we would love that he was there and he would give all the effort that he could. Um, and you know, he'd have his good days and his bad days. Um, but there was one day where he was trying really hard. He got all his effort into it. And he was actually playing really well, honestly. Like he had made a couple threes. It was good job, man, like impressive. And I was not playing great. And so all of a sudden, because our friend group is the way it is, I started getting trash talk from this guy. It's not great at basketball, and it was the most humbling thing in the world. But I was great, I was good, I held it in. I was like, good Christian, I'm not gonna you know, trash talk back, I'm not gonna say anything back. It's not who I am, that's not what I should do. And in the back of my mind, I was like, don't worry, I'm gonna win in the end anyways, I'm not worried about it. He's not gonna keep this up all game. But guess what? He kept it up all game. And all of a sudden, that thing that I thought was playful and fun became less fun to me it became embarrassing, and then I got angry. And that trash talk that had been in good fun in his part all of a sudden became offensive to me. And so I became offensive back, and I started being mean. So much so that he quit playing basketball that day. He left, and I kept talking to him all the way that he was leaving. And then I went back to playing basketball with my friends, because like, all right, that's done. Now I can go back to what I wanted to do. Um, so I get done playing basketball, I go back to my apartment, and sure enough, he's there waiting for me. And I was wondering, basically saying, okay, what's this gonna be? Is he wanting to hash it out, or what's the deal? And as soon as I get close, he looks up, and I see the tears on his face. I had robbed him of feeling like he belonged because the first time that he played well, he thought he could join in in the trash talk that all of us had done for so long. He thought he was just being a part of one of the guys. And because I came down so hard on him, he got a message that day that it's not okay, you are not like us. You don't get to be a part of this. And my words caused him to feel like he was never gonna be able to be on the inside. My words gave him a picture that he didn't belong in the same place that I felt I did because of 
how he played because of how he acted. And I'll be honest, it didn't take much to set me over the edge. It wasn't like he said anything wildly offensive. I just had enough. And so I cut it out. I got even. And I wanted to make sure that the embarrassment for me would stop. And so because I had grown up thinking, oh man, like I know what this is. I know how far I can go. I know I don't need to push it. I've got a handle on it. All of a sudden that came undone in a moment. And a guy who I was dearly excited to be friends with all of a sudden felt like I thought so much less of him that if he was as good at me at something, that was offensive to me. That is what James means when he says the tongue can set a forest afire. It can cause damage in ways that you don't even understand because that's the thing about things that can't be tamed. That's the thing about something that we realize isn't under our control fully because I thought that my tongue was under my control. I thought that this was something I can handle. I've done it before. I know what it is. I've grown up this way. I know what the barriers are. I know what not to say. I've got it. But what this text is saying here is that even if your best intentions, even with your best intentions, untamable means untamable. And so you will not be able to control it 100% of the time. James is basically saying, if you think that this is about your effort, good luck. But there will come a day when either you've got strong emotions welling up or you go to a party in a week. All the thoughts that you think have to stay on the inside are all of a sudden coming out because whether you've had too much alcohol and you've lost your inhibitions or someone said that thing to you at a party or you got embarrassed or you've had a bad week, all of a sudden, that fire starts. All of a sudden, that untamable tongue comes out because we can't control ourselves 100% of the time. I didn't set out that day thinking that I was going to humiliate my friend. I thought I was going to play basketball. But because I was trusting in myself, because I was believing that I could control something that couldn't be controlled on my own, I ended up causing damage to a friend who just wanted to belong, who saw our community, who saw that we all went to Christ Chapel and had such a strong-knit friendship, said, I want to be a part of that. And I said, don't you dare. You don't get to experience this, not in the same way I do. And I think James would call us hypocrites for that. He would say that we are hypocritical as believers when our tongue sets a fire and causes damage. Look with me at James 3, 8 through 10. And it says this, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Father, or our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not be so. So maybe you are like me, who picks fights in a basketball game with all my friends. Um, your call, but cool. Um, and maybe you don't feel, make a friend feel less than in those ways. But maybe for you it's gossip. Maybe you do the people watching thing, which by the way, I love people watching. It's incredible. I go to the airport a little bit early because it's the best. You should try it. It's the most free you will ever feel because you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. You just get to watch. It's incredible. 
Um, but then we take people watching a step too far and then we go to our friend and say, oh my gosh, can you believe he did that? Or can you believe she did that? And so then we start to create this inner circle and always poke fun at people outside of us and always make them feel like outcasts. Or maybe for you it's not gossip, but it's social media. Maybe you look at things that people post and form judgments in your head that you share with your friends. Or maybe you're the keyboard warrior who's really bold to defend your causes and defend what you're passionate about online. And in doing so, you're pretty brutal to some people who have differing opinions than you because you can't see their humanity in that. Or maybe it's just that you have a different vocabulary around your church crowd than you do when you go back home. Maybe you talk one way to fit in with one crowd and maybe you talk another when you're at home. Whatever it is, whatever platform it is for you, whether in person or online or on an app, if we are being unkind or hurtful to another person, James says this is wrong. And not just because we're hurting another human being. It's not just because we're being mean and that's wrong. Don't get me wrong. We shouldn't be mean. Like, that's not what I'm saying here today. Um, But it goes beyond that because what James says is that when we sing praises in a worship song like today about a God who we so love, and then we go out and we be mean to people. Those people are made in his image. And so if we profess to love this God, if we sing these songs saying how great our God is, if we sing saying, God, you are everything in my life, would you take everything? But then we walk right back out these doors and are unkind, hurtful, or even hateful to the people that he has said, you are my image bearer. You are my child. Then scripture is saying there is something disproportionately wrong with our worship of God. Because if our worship of God doesn't then translate to how we see others, then we don't love God. We don't love him in the way that we should because if we did, we would love his image in other people. We would love our neighbor the way that we should because we see the image bearing of God in them. We would see that picture of our Jesus in other people and we would want to be gracious. We would want to be kind and generous to them. But we don't. We, we get lost in our own selfishness. We get trapped in our own ways and we end up wounding the people who our God has sent his son Jesus to die to save. We cannot say that we have a love for God when we continue to hate his people. John puts it this way in 1 John 4.20. He says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Our love for people must originate in our love for God and our love for God is not complete until it changes the way that we love others. That's a lot. And I know that we talked about small decisions have big impact, we cannot tame the tongue, and we are hypocritical. And those are all good things to put into practice, but what I don't want you to hear from the sermon today is that this is about your performance. 
What I don't want you to hear is that, okay, now I know the rules, now I know the things that I need to, now I know what it takes to be a good Christian, to wear the mask, to play on the team. Now I know how to play, great, I got my role, I'm gonna go. This isn't about your performance. This isn't about something that we just need to grow in self-discipline to be able to achieve. The tongue is untamable. No human being has ever been able to tame the tongue, and so if this were something about our own ability, that wouldn't be true. But all we've done with our own ability is created fire and chaos and destruction, wound others, and at the very best, maybe we have been somewhat kind to people. It's not about our performance because I think James is saying that we have a source problem. I think James is saying that we have something wrong with the source from where the words come because if we didn't, then somehow, some way, we would be able to tame the tongue, but since we can't, that means that the thing that is where the words are originating is broken. There's something wrong with it. Look with me in James 3, 11 through 12. It says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond pr- uh, yield fresh water. When we are hypocrites, when our tongue sets fire to our friends, our family, relationships, or just people that we've met, what it's showing is that there is something wrong with the source inside of us. What it's showing is that there is something that has broken and has changed and we need a fix to get a new source. We need something to change because what's coming out isn't great. Um, Luke 6, 45 says this, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when we say, oh, there are things in my life that are going on, there are words that I've said, there are things that are going wrong, Luke is saying this is because of an overflow of your heart. This is because there's something wrong inside of you that needs to be fixed. Because it's not about just a bad day. It's not about just something that went wrong and you're off your game. You've had a rough day. Someone was mean to you. A boss yelled at you. That's not it. That would be like saying, like, think, think for a moment. If I have an orange, right? Like just normal, standard orange, not organic or whatever, just the one you get at Kroger. Um, and I were to take it and I were to peel it. And then I were to take it right here in front of you and I were to squeeze it. And orange juice came out. That would be like me saying, if we were to say my bad words that came out of my mouth, the things that my tongue has done are only because of external circumstances, that would be like me saying that when I squeeze this orange, the only reason orange juice is there is because I squeezed it. It would be like me saying the only reason that orange juice is here present is because I applied the pressure. That's the only reason that I say hateful things. That's the only reason is because there's outside pressure pushing me down, there's outside pressure that is forcing this out of me, it's not my fault. Clearly you'd look at that and say, that's not true. The orange juice has been there the whole time, you just forced it out. That's what happens when our tongue causes damage. It's not everyone else's fault. There's something that has gone wrong and so we need a fix. We need a new source. We need someone to come in and provide us with a change, a renewing, something to make us new, something to wash us clean and fix what's gone wrong inside of us. 
that someone lived a life about 2,000 years ago and his name was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the son of the God sitting up in heaven, looked down on us and out of his love for us said, I'm going to take on flesh and I'm going to come down and live a perfect life and then die a death for their sin penalty so that they might have the opportunity to know me. Because he loved you, he loved me enough to say, I know them, I know my son, I know my daughter, I want better for them. So I'm going to live this perfect life, I'm going to pay their penalty so that they might have an opportunity to know me, to have a relationship with me, and in that relationship, I am going to change them. Jesus is the one who makes us new, who renews us from the inside out, who washes us clean and gives us a new identity, a new purpose, and a new heart. That is who he is. And so if you are in this room and you are hearing this gospel story for the first time and you are hearing that there's a God of the universe who wants a relationship with you, my hope is that you hear that and hear his love for you and say, yes, I want that. My hope is that it amazes that there's a God of the universe who literally sent his son to die for your sake because that I see the brokenness in you but I love you too much to leave you there. That's my hope, is that if you're hearing this for the first time, this seems attractive to you and you want to experience this genuinely and truly. But if you are in Christ and you are in this room, my challenge for you is simple. It's two things. The first is be honest. Be honest with yourself about the ways that your tongue has caused damage. Be honest with yourself about the ways that you have tried to control your tongue and in doing so, it has lashed out and hurt other people because now what you need to do because you know that your words are a representation not just of yourself but of your Savior and of this picture that other people see when, uh, think of him when they see you is that you need to go and reconcile. You need to go to apologize and ask for their forgiveness because it's not about you and them. It is about their opportunity to meet and see Jesus as a good thing. Because if we have tarnished that example, if I have ruined that example with my friend playing basketball in a way where he can't trust in Jesus anymore, I need to go and do everything I can to make that right. I need to go and lay down my life and say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And if you are someone who's in this room who has been wounded by someone who claims the name of Jesus Christ, I am so sorry. I'm sorry for the pain that you've been put through. I'm sorry for the way that we have failed you, that we have been hypocrites, that you have looked at and say, you don't match up with what you say your God is. You're right. I'm sorry. My ask is that even though we don't deserve it, is that you would give Jesus another chance. Is that you would give him another chance because he is the one who will never let you down. We will fall short as his people but he is the one who will never let you down and his grace and his forgiveness will always be true for you. So the first one, my challenge for you in Christ is to be honest. And then second, fix your eyes on Jesus daily. Fix your eyes on Jesus daily so that you can, you can know that source. You can trust in that source and that he can work in you to renew what has gone wrong so that when you step out in this world, you don't just go back out and do the same thing trying really hard this time. That it's not about you doing your best from here on out, 
but it's about you seeing a God who sent his son for you and saying, I want that, I want that in my life, I want that to be the overflow of my heart, I want that to be the abundance of my heart that comes through for others, so that when he sends you out, you look like him. You show others who Jesus is by the way that you live because it is an overflow of your life to experience the grace of Jesus Christ. So that when you interact with people, the tongue doesn't cause damage, your words don't give people an improper picture of Jesus, but your words show just how good Jesus is. Your life lives that way. That's my hope for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we are so thankful for your word and what it does in our lives. God, we love you for the fact that you don't just take us where we are and say, it's okay, stay there. God, you know the abundance of life that is waiting for us when we trust in you. And so God, you'd call us to it. You give us a picture of what it looks like to run headfirst after you and you say, this is good, this is pleasing, would you do it? And so my hope for us here in this room is that we would do business in our own hearts and we would ask genuinely the questions, God, where have I gone wrong? Where have I tried to control my tongue and in doing so have damaged others' picture of you? And God, would we run to those people to apologize and ask for forgiveness? God, would we move towards them? And for those of us in this room who are still dealing with the scars from words that we've heard in our own life, God, would we not try and heal those on our own? Would we not try and keep those to ourselves? But God, would we turn them over to you? God, would we give them to you because you have shown yourself that you are good enough to handle the sin punishment of our life? So God, would we trust you with our vulnerabilities? Would we trust you with our pains? because you've taken the brokenness, you've taken the struggle, you've taken our punishment. God, you've done immeasurably good to us. So God, would we, would we surrender to you? The small things, our tongue, our actions, the very source of our life, would it be you that fills us up and makes us new each day? We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.